Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Vita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans in the space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. And I'm very excited. We'll be speaking with Jared Shaw, head of finance at Gemini, an Air Force veteran. Welcome, Jared. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Awesome, man. Well, let's just get started. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where'd you grow up? Sure. Um, I am originally from California and um, had grew up born and raised in Southern California. Um, and since going off to college in Boston, I have basically flip-flopped between coasts. Um, spent a long time in New York, came back to California for uh, about eight years, and now I'm back in New York again. And I'm, I'm assuming that's going to continue in the future. Got it. So, so you went to school in Boston, uh, and then you went into the Air Force. Can you tell us about that decision? Yeah, absolutely. So I did ROTC in college, uh, in undergrad, Air Force ROTC. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, which helped me go off to college. Um, and it was a dual decision for me. I really wanted to be in the military. At, at one point, I thought I wanted to go to West Point. Um, and, uh, but I also really wanted a way to pay for college. Um, and so both of those things were, were, uh, really important decision makers for me. Um, and it couldn't have been a better decision. I really, really enjoyed my time in Air Force ROTC. Um, it added such a huge dimension to my undergraduate experience and growth. Um, and then, Going on to active duty after undergrad was a tremendous experience that I would never change. Can you tell us a little bit about your service? What did you do in the Air Force? Yeah, sure. So I was a communications officer in the Air Force. Uh, people often ask me uh, when I say that I was in the Air Force, oh, did you fly planes? And my response is no, more likely, I, uh, more accurately, I flew a desk. Um, which is true for a lot of non-pilot or, or non-aircrew folks in the Air Force. Uh, but it was really exciting. You know, um, I joined the, the active duty Air Force in 1999, which was in the private sector, um, uh, the sort of pinnacle of the dot-com bubble. Uh, technology and the Internet were really transforming the way people did business. And being a communications officer in the Air Force, is a career field that re that revolves around electronic systems, connectivity at the bases and, and overseas locations, um, and everything IT. And so being in the military where it was transforming and going on its own internet journey in the middle of the dot-com bubble was a really exciting place to be. That's great. Are there any specific anecdotes or experiences that really shaped you going forward? Yeah, so, uh, there, there, I mean, there are so many, Chris, as I'm sure you've had uh, just a, a, an uncountable number. But um, one of them was during ROTC and one was during active duty. Um, and during ROTC, I had a commander, the, the, the woman who was a Fulberg colonel who ran our ROTC detachment. Uh, she was an amazing leader uh, and really 
gave me the first insights in my career as a, as a very young person of what it, what it looks like to be a leader. Um, and I learned a valuable lesson from her about what it takes to take care of your people and stick up for them. Um, during the, during my freshman year in undergrad, I had some, uh, very minor and obscure medical issues from, you know, they dig through all of your medical records for your whole life. And I had some obscure medical issues from a very young age that came up and were threatening my scholarship and continuation in the program. And, um, she knew that these were not, you know, real concerns and, Long story short, she went to bat for me in a very huge way that ultimately that could have been a major bifurcation sure. in my overall life. And and I know she probably used a lot of political capital to keep me involved in the program. So I, I learned how important it is to go to bat for your people when you think there is a lot of value in them. Um, and then the other issue, the other item from maybe active duty was um you know, my first uh, duty station was in Korea, and um, it's a remote location. No one has their families, um, and I really learned about how important it is to how important the familyhood of the military is, and, and the brotherhood and sisterhood of that. And it was uh, such a great place to be and to learn about being an officer. Um, but a specific incident was because we were in Korea, you do a lot of uh, wartime exercises. And uh, I was, I happened to be posted in the, the command center as the communications officer rep to the overall command center. And um, at a particular point in the exercise, uh, I just wasn't getting the job done, Chris. I, I wasn't translating what needed to be done from a communications standpoint during some very critical, you know, quote unquote wartime um, moments. And the, the overall base commander, uh, the wing commander, called me into the, uh, we called it the battle cab. And this is behind glass. And the wing commander was sitting there, very intimidating. We were all in chemical suits. And uh, he told me to, um, he told me to pull my head out of my ass and stop thinking peacetime and think wartime. And I didn't know exactly what he meant at the time, but I just said, yes, sir, and, and ran off and tried to do more stuff. Um, and But what I took away from it later in reflecting was that um, changing your mentality and getting to the exact crux of what needs to be done on a regular basis is something that's so critical. It basically, he was saying, stop operating your normal way of doing things and think creatively to come up with solutions that are going to impact us now. And I think that is something I take with me all the time. We have to operate in, an, in a normal environment and we try to create scale in our jobs and some type of repeatability. But once in a while you have to say, how can I really change this process or how can I really uh, 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 go a, the next level to have a step change in what we're doing. And that was just a major wake up call. And it was one that was a little bit rough at the time, but I got oh, through it. Great experiences to share. Thank you for that. So you, you ended up, you attained the rank of captain and then you decided to, to transition. Can you tell us about that transition and the challenges that you faced? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, not being a pilot in the air force, uh, the career path gets really narrow at the top. And so um, while I really, really enjoyed my time in the Air Force, um, 
I knew that ultimately it wasn't going to be a long-term career for me. And so I decided to transition to corporate America. And all I really knew at the time was I really liked the financial sector. I had was one of the few people who was reading the Wall Street Journal in the military. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was the height of the dot-com bubble. And CNBC was sort of becoming an everyday household channel that people watched. And, um, and I was just really interested in the, the, the financial industry is kind of the engine of business overall. And in communications, I wasn't on the forefront. I was sort of helping the engine of the Air Force to basically get bombs on target. And I, and so I liked that aspect of financial services that translated for me. Um, it was also, it's also a technical area. I came from a technical career field and I was a physics major in undergrad. And I liked the technical and numbers-based aspect of finance, but also the very uh, more qualitative business approach to it. So I didn't know anything about the industry. I, I didn't know. I, I'm not even sure I knew what a mutual fund really was uh, when I when I left uh, the military. But I knew I wanted to be in finance, and I was uh, through some um, uh, specific military recruiters was able to get a job in the financial industry at Prudential. Um, and that was an excellent overview of, hey, here's what a financial firm does, and here's how they're structured, and here's what a corporation looks like. Um, but the challenge was, Chris, is that I was, you know, at that point, 26 years old, roughly, and uh, I, you know, in undergrad, I didn't do internships like all of my corporate America peers were. I didn't know how a company ran, and I was, uh, so I felt very behind in the learning curve. And my first impulse was just to devour as much information, network as much as possible. And that's what led to me doing a, a part-time MBA program because I didn't want to go full-time and then lose two more years of falling behind everyone else. I wanted to be able to learn and ramp up the learning curve while I was on the job. Um, and I think that's similar in the, in the military in a lot of ways. I think you end up having to learn on the job all the time. Um, and so for me, that was just, it naturally made sense. I totally agree with that. And, and the great thing about the military is that you come out, you have these skills that you just, that, that nobody else has, right? And then you're thrust into a new scenario, a new situation where you don't maybe have the technical expertise, which you're kind of used to, like getting parachuted in. Yes. And, you know, gaining technical expertise in a way is within your own control because it depends on how hard you work, you know, how much you focus and how much you just devour it, right? And so to me, that's always been a lesson that I've, I've learned as I, you know, speak to other veterans. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a balance, I think, especially um, being an officer in the military, there's a balance between technical expertise and, but also being a generalist. Um, you know, you're typically managing, uh, you know, an organization of decent size. Um, and while you need to really understand the technical aspects of it, uh, you're not going to know the same level of technical expertise as, let's just say, in the communications officer career field, uh, as a radar maintainer is going to know. I'm not going to know exactly how to maintain that radar, but I have a general idea of what the radar does, what its importance is, and and where we need to position it for to execute. Um, and that's a balance between technical and generalist that 
I've employed constantly through my career in corporate America, um, especially as you move up and take on more and more responsibility. Um, there's a there's an element of being able to really understand the technical aspects of your role, but then to also be able to look outside of that, figure out the big picture, um, have a strategic view, and then help set priorities for the people in your organization based on that general idea. Awesome. So, Jared, let's get back to your story. You get your, your MBA, you're at Prudential. Tell us a little bit more about your life in, in TradFi. Climbed the ladder slowly um, through the MBA program. I was able to get introduced to Goldman Sachs and took on a role at Goldman Sachs. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a portfolio manager uh, for on, on the buy side of traditional finance um, at an asset management shop or maybe at an asset management arm of the company. Um, and so I then proceeded through the CFA program, the Chartered Financial Analyst Program, um, which is a three-year intensive uh, learning experience marked by uh, very stress-inducing exams at once a year. Um, and I, uh, so I progressed through that. Again, it was one of those things where, okay, I'm on the job, I'm learning, uh, I need to do this extra thing, I will carve out the time to do that. Um, and then I was able to transition into asset management at Goldman Sachs and worked in um, fixed income portfolio management, which was phenomenal. Um, the challenge was I started that in 2008, right before the financial crisis, um, and uh, then went through the financial crisis. That was a hair-raising time, but I will tell you, like anybody knows from the from military experience, deploying is where you learn the most in your military experience, and uh, this was the equivalent of deploying. <laughs> it was nonstop and a, a really crazy time, but. I learned so much. The challenge coming out of that was once things kind of settled down and I realized what being a portfolio manager was all about is I learned that I didn't like it. And I honestly, I wasn't a good match for it. Um, I, I discounted how much I really liked leadership and management and sort of broad strategic thinking, project management. And being a portfolio manager can be a very... Um, uh, individual contributor, lonely lifestyle. Uh, you're looking at multiple screens with the same numbers flipping every day and kind of making the same decisions. Of course, the environment changes and the, and, and the markets change and the news changes, but you're still sort of doing the same tasks every day. Um, and I miss sort of the, the, the collaborative teamwork, leadership aspects. And I really discounted that about uh, where I had come up until that point. Uh, so I learned a very valuable lesson in taking stock of really what your core values are and what you're really strong at. I was very intrigued by asset management. Mentally, it was, um, it was just a very stimulating place to be, and I really was stimulated on a daily basis. But it didn't imbue all of the things that, that I really was passionate about in my career. And, and so it made me take another look at how I was going to, to, to go on my next step and, and to really evolve my career. Because up until that point, I was chasing this one shiny object and it turned out that that's not what I wanted to do. Got it. So how did you pivot after being a, a portfolio manager? Yeah, so I kind of went to an exactly opposite job and one that 
really got back to the core things that I liked. So I, I moved to the Bay Area from New York, and um, this was now one of my, my coastal flip-flops. Uh, I, I moved to the Bay Area and um, worked at Ernst & Young in their consulting division, but specifically for financial services. I loved the financial industry. I wanted to stay in that. Um, and so I, w- I became a consultant for banks and broker dealers and asset managers. Um, and this is, again, 2012, still relatively post-financial crisis. Firms were trying to just figure out how to stay out of trouble. And there was plenty of work trying to help them do that. Um, but the, the great thing about being a consultant is that it's very much a team environment. Every engagement you go on has a team of people. Um, you're solving problems for your clients. You're, you're managing projects. Um, and so it was the exact opposite of portfolio management, where it wasn't just a day-to-day look at the numbers and figure out how to make transactions. It was more, what's the end objective we're trying to get to for this company? What's the end problem we're solving for them? And how are we moving the ball forward to help them solve those problems? I, I loved it. And, and I also learned a lot about just business development and client service. Um, that I think is always good for people to understand how to do, even if you're not going to be a salesperson long-term, it's really great to have those skills. And so again, a diversification of my skill set, which I've always sought to go after, but something that was more back to my core values of the type of way I like to operate and my experience that I really um, gained from an early point in my military career. Um, And I did that for about uh, eight years towards the middle of that journey in in consulting, being in the Bay Area, fintech was just exploding in 2014, 2015. And so I really started this journey in TradFi consulting, and then that morphed more and more into fintech. Um, And I helped EY build its fintech consulting business, which uh, was a wonderful experience. Uh, And I got to meet so many different great startups that were doing all kinds of industry disruptive things. Um, and so to have exposure to that was really exciting. Um, I then that morphed into cryptocurrency consulting as a subset of fintech. Um, and in 2018, uh, started doing a large consulting engagement for a a very large, uh, now public cryptocurrency firm. Um, and, uh, that just sent me right down the rabbit hole of cryptocurrency. And Can you develop that a little bit more? So tell us about that journey down the rabbit hole and how did you come out? Yeah. Um, gosh, that was, it was just so much fun. I, um, again, the traditional financial services sector is one that I love and I was very much but on board with that. And I could spend my whole career in that sector. And then when I started working with cryptocurrency firms, I realized that they were basically reinventing everything that I was doing in TradFi in this new crypto economy with an entirely new backend and a new way of looking at things. And it just, for me, it refreshed everything that I had learned up until that point in TradFi and got me to look at things with a brand new light. So everything that I was doing between regulatory compliance items or operational efficiency or uh, helping a, a broker dealer with its uh, trade executions platform. All of those things were being redesigned in the cryptocurrency sector. And it, if you're not engaged by that, then 
I don't know what's going to get you. And actually the digital token side of it was secondary for me. The the thing that was so intriguing was just what I just said, the, the, the redesign of the whole infrastructure and how it was empowering people to interact with this new form of money in a different way or a new asset class or whatever you wanted to classify it at the time. Um, and uh, it, it was just impossible not to get sucked into that. Uh, and then you see these individuals who are working on these problems who don't have a, tra- a TradFi background, um, who are coming at things from different angles and really trying to, to cut corners in a good way, cut out the fat of how TradFi does certain things. Um, I was just fully on board and immersed. Um, and then the token side of it got me immersed in how, how dynamic that has gotten from just the, the early days of basically Bitcoin and Ethereum trading platforms to now, you know, hundreds and thousands of tokens that are available for, for people. It's super exciting, right? When that light bulb goes on and you're like, gosh, I've been really constrained in my thinking because of the technology that I knew. Right? Exactly. This new technology kind of unleashes these new concepts that I couldn't even contemplate before it came. So I, I have a very similar experience. So how did you land at Gemini? Yeah. So as I was consulting for several cryptocurrency firms, I just knew, you know, I was at the, at a point at EY where I was uh, considering, you know, really pushing to become a partner at the firm or uh, just launching into a, a cryptocurrency career or at least the next step because who knows what a career in cryptocurrency looks like long term um, and so for me I thought you know the the partnership path at EY is a safe path it's a good one I really liked the company and I liked the people I worked with um, but I didn't want to go I didn't want to get 10 years down the road and you know when you see when you start learning about cryptocurrency and the crypto economy, and, and you see how much it's evolving and where it could potentially go, who knows where it's going to be 10 years from now, but it's going to be something amazing. I didn't want to look back 10 years down the road and say, why didn't I take a, a, a little bit of a risk and, and try something new? I didn't want to have that. I was looking forward and thinking, I don't want to have that regret. So I really started a process of going out and meeting other crypto firms and, um, through just like any anything else you do, Chris, in, in networking, I'm I'm sure so, someone like you has is is a very active networker, and you hear about all different kinds of roles. Um, I through a colleague just got introduced to Gemini, and they were hiring for for a role that I knew I could do, um, and it wasn't the role that uh, I ultimately was was my lifelong career passion, but it was one where. You know, the, the old saying of, uh, you know, when you're asked to get on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat to get on, just get on the rocket ship. Um, that's that's where I just wanted to get on the rocket ship. And in addition to that, the folks I met at Gemini, the leadership um, and the way Gemini was uh, coming to market for new talent was just very professional. And I got the sense that this is a, a real firm trying to do things the right way, um, but innovating at a, a crazy pace. And when I was interviewing with other cryptocurrency firms, I didn't get that same perspective. Uh, 
there, there was a whole range of just professionalism and quality of the other executives I met. And, and Jim and I really knocked it out of the park. You made some great points there about networking, which is something that you need to do throughout your career, whatever level you're at. Uh, and, and you also made a really interesting comment about your, your, your rocket ship analogy. I think it's a nice Air Force comment, I would, I would say. <laughs> um, I always tell veterans it's not about the job that you're looking for. It's a people search, right? And, and it sounds like you took the same approach. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about Gemini? What does Gemini do and what, how does it serve the cryptocurrency industry? Absolutely. Uh, so Gemini is a cryptocurrency exchange and custodian uh, at its core. And so it allows uh, retail customers and institutions to buy, sell and store cryptocurrency. We, we provide what we call fiat on ramps or ways for individuals to get traditional currency across seven different uh, currencies onto our platform and then to buy, sell and store cryptocurrencies across well north of 75 different tokens on our platform. Um, but in addition to that core buy, sell, store activity that Gemini is built around, um, we are also adding what we call money verbs to our platform. So these are actions that individuals can take uh, beyond buy, sell, store as the original money verbs um, to interact with cryptocurrency. So, for example, we have a product called Gemini Earn, which allows individuals to earn interest on cryptocurrency uh, by depositing their tokens into a Gemini Earn account. Um, we are allowing individuals to collect, as another verb, um, NFTs uh, and, uh, and then create on top of that um, through, our plat through our marketplace called Nifty Gateway. Um, and then we uh, are, have new and emerging products. We're launching a credit card um, that provides cryptocurrency rewards every time you purchase. And so that's now rewarding uh, customers. So these additional money verbs are what we are adding on to the core experience of cryptocurrency because we think uh, and we look out in the future, the crypto economy is going to basically disrupt all of those things that the traditional financial industry currently does. And we want to be at the forefront of adding those money verbs. I think a, a key point about Gemini is that we are doing all of this built on top of a company that's 100% focused on regulatory compliance, security, and trust with our customers. Um, so uh, one of the ethos at, at Gemini is, you know, we ask for permission. We don't beg for forgiveness. Uh, we engage very openly with our regulators uh, and we want to make sure that ultimately we have a very trusted and secure platform because that's going to get the next cohort of people into cryptocurrency. Um, and, and, and we feel that that's long term greedy uh, as opposed to, you know, we make some trade offs now because we do things the right way, whereas a lot of our competitors don't necessarily do things the right way and they're able to get to market quicker on certain things. But that's okay. We have a long-term view, and we think uh, this regulatory, secure, trust environment is the way to be long-term greedy in this sector. That's an awesome description of your company. Um, amazing. So, what's it like to be a head of finance at, at an exchange like Gemini? What's a day? What's a day in the life of, of Jared? Yeah. Um, no two days are the same, Chris. As I'm, I'm sure you're very used to in this sector. Um, you know, there are core aspects of 
of being in finance that are probably similar to a lot of other finance, financial, finance leaders in other sectors. Uh, things like closing the books and making sure that we are forecasting our business appropriately. Um, but then there are things that are very unique to cryptocurrency and then also uh, being a private company. So in, in general, I view the, the finance leader's role as one that is helping the company uh, manage its economics through a very volatile um, through a very volatile marketplace. Uh, and cryptocurrency is certainly that. And so we're constantly thinking of plan what's plan B, C, and D. So it's something I think I got very early in my military career is that you always have redundancy or triple failovers, or you know, you really try to identify what are the single points of failure in in a system. And I think that's the same thing uh, with a cryptocurrency firm, especially in a finance leader's role, is that we're trying to help the company see around various corners and make sure that we are not taking too much financial exposure, uh, that we're managing our our um, finances appropriately as far as cash burn, et cetera. Um, and that becomes very challenging in a in a uh, dynamic environment like the crypto economy. Um, so day to day, it is uh, a lot of code switching, and I think this is something from my military career, but then also having a diverse tradfi career that that's helped. I've I've gathered a lot of different experiences that help me switch from one thing to another, and really. Um, enable my leadership team to help prioritize and solve problems on a real-time basis. Um, I'd say there is, you know, no fewer than six or seven entirely different problems I'm solving on a daily basis. Um, so this gets into the thing we talked about at the beginning, Chris, between being technically sound, but then also being a generalist. And I think at this point, my generalist background has really helped me be able to code switch as much as I do on a daily basis and solve a very wide array of, of problems. Um, but then ultimately, I see uh, th that's kind of core to finance. But overall, I see just being a leader at a, at a company like Gemini of its size and scale um, of just being a voice for you know the overall leadership team at Gemini and providing um, a sense of the vision and strategy, not only for the finance department, but for the broader company as a whole. Um, so there's a tactical component, but then there's also the broader strategic component, which I love. Um, do I get it right, that balance on a daily basis? No, <laughs> I certainly don't. Um, but it's something that we, we want to get right, you know, the majority of the time. And uh, I, I strive to do that. It's a great answer. So what advice would you give to a transitioning uh, veteran or their spouse trying to break into the industry? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, so I would say a couple different things. One is curiosity is key. Um, being curious about what's going on in the industry and just devouring as much information as possible. I think about my early days in the TradFi industry of uh, being what I felt four years behind my peers, uh, if not more than that, um, and just trying to devour as much information as possible, um, even if it didn't directly relate to my, my job. Um, so being curious about the industry 
and then getting out there and asking questions. So we talked about networking a little bit before, Chris, and I think networking is super important, but it can also be daunting for a lot of people. I am naturally introverted, um, but I think I've, through my military experience and um, other leadership training, have learned how to become more extroverted over time, but it's not my natural state. Um, and I think that's okay. And I think there's, it's okay if people are introverted or feel maybe self-conscious about the fact they're, that they're coming from a military career and they're talking to quote unquote industry experts, which no one's really an industry expert, um, especially in a very new industry like cryptocurrency. Um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable about reaching out to folks or asking questions. Um, but if you, if you kind of switch your mindset to one of, I'm just being curious and I'm just asking questions. I'm not trying to, to really overly take too much of someone's time or to try to build some broad relationship with someone, just asking questions and asking people kind of like you're doing here. Hey, what's been your experience? I think most people in the industry are totally open to answering those questions, especially vets who are already there. Um, and so I know for me, and I'm sure you're the same way, Chris, people reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email. Um, I am, I do my absolute best to answer their questions, especially if they're, if they're veterans, um, who are, who are looking to make a transition. Um, so having that curiosity is, is the first thing. The second thing is to, and, and you kind of touched on this point earlier, Chris, which is not to over index on a specific role. Um, when, whenever you're breaking into a new industry, regardless of the industry, could be cryptocurrency or manufacturing or consumer packaged goods, um, don't over index on the specific job, just get your foot in the door and then excel. And someone who's coming from a military background of high discipline, um, high achieving and high performing, you will excel. I have no doubt about it. Um, and if you can just look to getting to that next role, um, then that's, that's the thing that's always helped me out. I've always really focused on what's the next role I want to get to. I've never really had this sort of long 20 year career path of where I wanted to get. It was really just been around what's exciting me now. What's the next role I want to get into? Um, or what's the next industry or company I want to get into um, and being flexible about how I get there. And cryptocurrency is a perfect example of that. I went into a role that wasn't necessarily my dream role, but it was one I knew I could do really well, excel and, and then get an idea of what I want, really wanted to do more broadly in crypto. So between just to, to kind of summarize all of that, between being curious and really reaching out and asking a lot of questions and not over indexing on a role, um, is, is I think two really critical things for folks to do who are looking to transition into the sector. There's some real gems right there. And I think you're, you're right. Networking is so key to getting up to speed. And I think I've found the community is super welcoming. And I think a lot of it's because yes. the entire industry is so young, right? Bitcoin, 2008, Ethereum, 2014, 2015, most of the industry is less than five years old. And so we're, we're kind of all in this together. 
I've also found that the tooling um, that you can bring together communities is much more advanced in this space. And so I'll give a shameless plug for our Discord, yeah. right? We, we put together yeah. a Discord. I think we're approaching uh, a few hundred members now where they're all there willing to help. So um, please join our Vita Discord. Twitter is an incredible source of information as well. And then LinkedIn, as you mentioned, are there any other specific ways or, or things that you would advise people to read or study as they get up to speed? Sure. Yeah. And, and just to further further your plug um, and and how much access there is out there for, for people to be able to get connectivity to the sector. I mean, just the idea that something like Vita exists is really impressive. And, and kudos to you, Chris, and, and your colleagues who have, who have really gotten this off the ground and are, are generating a community around this. Um, that, that exists across a multitude of avenues. I know you're extremely involved uh, uh, with veterans on Wall Street. And so for individuals who are looking to get into Wall Street, that's a, an incredibly powerful uh, networking and resource for folks to, to look into. So there are lots of resources out there. Um, I'd say find those groups. Um, there, you know, there aren't any specific ones I would plug right now. I would just say find those communities and groups where people are answering questions. They give you a safe space to ask what you might think are basic, quote unquote, dumb questions, even though there are no dumb questions, um, and, and reach out to those groups. It doesn't have to be point to point. Hey, reach out to a specific individual. It can be just go to a group like Vita and, and ask great questions. Um, I also think there's a lot going on on college campuses these days around cryptocurrency. So even if you, so maybe you're coming out of the military and you're using your GI Bill and you're 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 going to you're getting your degree, or you've already gotten your degree but you're close to a university somewhere, there are probably talks happening or meetups or uh, some other types of organizations at the university. Even if you're you know. Uh, an old senile person like myself, um, you, you can go to these 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 places and, and really get a lot of engagement, especially or in with specifically within cryptocurrency. I think there's so much engagement at the university level right now that there's a lot to tap into there as well. You're not senile, and you're, you're definitely not a boomer, uh, which we do get accused <laughs> of sometimes in this space. Uh, I'm, I'm a healthy Gen X. That's right, as am I. That. People forget about Gen X all the time, and it's not fair. <laughs> What excites you about Web3, right? You talked about these money verbs, which is such a cool concept. Looking on the horizon, you know, what major trends do you see? Gosh, it's such a huge, wide-ranging topic because Web3, you know, it, it really embodies a lot of different aspects of obviously the core internet, but then also just how we monetize and interact with everyday things online. I think NFTs are a really prime example. Being able to get... Let's just talk about the digital art section of NFTs, which is um, what our Nifty Gateway platform focuses on today. Um, getting a, an, an incredible connection between the creator and the collector is something that the traditional art world has really struggled with. It's very elitist, it's very opaque, it's hard for individuals to get, you know, to be able to, to afford a, a a very massive piece of artwork, if not even a smaller piece of artwork that might not be as, as valuable, it's still very difficult for the average person to do. But with NFTs, there's an ability for um, artists to get 
direct connectivity with with uh, collectors. And I think that's just tremendous. And then it also provides a way for those artists to, to create a revenue stream on an ongoing basis. Because once an artist sells a, in a traditional world, sells a piece of artwork, they're not getting a cut of any secondary sales of that artwork. Um, and that is something that can be that can be programmed into smart contracts. So the original artist has some type of a long-term value that they get out of the, the piece that they released in the primary. Um, that's just one piece of, of excitement around Web3 that, that just sort of broader openness and transparency that it brings uh, and breaking down barriers that like, like those that which we see in, in the traditional art world. It's just one area. But then it also allows people, it, it sort of takes the internet away from ownership by really a, a small handful of, of companies. Uh, if you want to sum it up by the FANG companies, that's one way to do it. Um, and really puts that ownership back into creators uh, and users' hands um, and allows an individual to design their experience on the internet. Um, that I think we're just beginning to really understand what the power of that is. Um, and a lot of that is challenging because it's still very difficult for folks to really understand Web3. I think a lot of it is is operated through digital wallets. And you know, for the average person opening up, say, a MetaMask wallet and uh, transacting across all the various platforms, whether it's DeFi or NFTs, or some other area through that is a very faceless, um, potentially risky and scary prospect for folks. Um, and so I think there's a lot for Web3 to solve. And I think companies like Gemini who can help folks solve those problems and maybe put a, a trusted and secure and easy to use front end on those items, uh, on, on those Web3 characteristics is, is something that we're still trying to figure out how to do. Um, and we're going to need to evolve around that. So when I think about, you know, those couple of things that I'm really excited about now, in the future, I, I, it's hard to even imagine what this is going to be five years from now, let alone two years from now. I mean, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve tremendously. Yeah, great points. And I, I think especially your point around user experience and the role that, that Gemini plays is just going to get more important as time goes on. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the biggest question of the day um, is Gemini hiring. And if you're hiring, where are you hiring and how can people apply? Sure. Absolutely. So, so Gemini is definitely hiring. Um, you know, we've hired tremendously uh, since the start of COVID really. Um, we, COVID was a great forcing function for us because as a, as a New York headquartered company, we were probably 80, 20 split prior to COVID between New York based um, astronauts, as we call our employees, and 20% uh, outside of New York, some global. Um, but with COVID and being able to operate in a fully remote environment, we've just expanded our hiring to basically anywhere and everywhere. Um, and, and now the company has offices across Portland, Chicago, uh, California, New York, obviously, um, and then also the UK, Ireland, Singapore, um, soon to be Latin America. So those are, you know, where we have physical locations, but beyond physical locations, remote locations, endless, the possibilities are endless. And, um, 
we are hiring obviously for engineers and, and technology resources. That's probably our top priority. Um, but then we have a whole slew of other openings that are open from compliance to finance, to customer support, to operations, to sales. Um, it is a full stack company. And uh, those jobs can all be found at, at Gemini.com. We have a careers page. Um, and even if it says a particular location on a role, I will advise you that location is very flexible. So uh, don't feel like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pigeonholing you. Fair enough. And, and Jared, last question. How can people connect with you? You mentioned LinkedIn. Is, it, is that the best way? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably great. Um, Jared Shaw on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm the only Jared Shaw at Gemini. There are probably a lot of Jared <laughs> Shaws on, on LinkedIn. Um, also, feel free to email me, jared at gemini.com. Awesome. Jared, you shared some absolute gems today. I learned a ton. And I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do. And, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you have ideas on who else we should feature on the show, please hit me on Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.